Welcome to Interrevolutionary Radio with your host, Beth Green. This is James Maynard, your co-host. This week's topic, push on, give up, choices, choices. How do we know what to do? Yeah, I want to know. (laughs) Here are different perspectives that could change your mind. When we're worn out and ready to give up, should we? When we're stressed and stretched to the max, is that noble or dumb? This show might be your chance to figure it out. Let's take the time to ask, what are we doing? What drives us to do what we do? How do we know what choices to make? When to persevere, give up, or switch gears? Beth Green has an approach, and it might just rearrange your gray cells. So put away your calculator, figuring out the relative risks and benefits of different choices, and jump into a different worldview. Learn all about it on this show and call in if you can. Beth is here to help. Our special co-host today is Helen Helix, who will be interviewing Beth. She always does a great job, and we'd love to hear from you, too. And so now, here's Beth. Hi, everybody. Yes, we do hope that you call in. So, James, why don't you give the phone number right away? Okay, that number is 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Okay, well, today we have a very exciting guest talking about this very important topic. Uh, No, that's me. That's me. I am the... (laughs) We had a look a long time to find her. But anyway, this really is an important topic uh, because, you know, there's a million things all the time uh, that we're also always asking ourselves, should I go on or should I give up or what am I doing? And, you know, why am I doing this again? So I do hope that we get into a fabulous conversation. But before we do that, I want to welcome our co-host, Helen Hillux, who did a great job, like I think it was two weeks ago. Hi, Helen. Hi, thank you for having me back. I love being with you and listening to your wisdom and oh. challenging my brain to come up with semi-intelligent things to say. Oh, I don't worry about that. <laughs> <laughs> you always do. And, but before we get into this really important topic, uh, how about the news of the inner revolution? The inner revolution, you know, is about oneness, accountability, and mutual support. So take it away, James. Okay. As you know, we at Interrevolutionary Radio like to bring you some of the news of what's happening in our world, particularly as it relates to the inner revolution. And as Beth mentioned, it's the movement toward attitudes of oneness, accountability, and mutual support. As usual, it was a mixed week. Speaking of accountability, for the impact of our actions on others, our first bit of news is on the climate front. There's a very important development occurring, which is that economics is driving a move toward renewable energy, even while the political divide keeps trying to stop it. Here's some information from The Atlantic, published just today. Speaking of the divide, especially between Republican and Democratic states, with the Republicans opposing regulations supporting clean energy. They say, the political gulf is deep and durable, but the rapidly shifting economics of renewable energy may be transcending it. The price of electricity generated from solar and wind has steadily fallen, making it more cost competitive with conventional fossil fuels. Falling cost has triggered a growth spurt for renewables. Solar and wind combined have accounted for at least half of the total new electrical generating capacity utilities have installed in three of the past four years. Isn't that something? Did you know that? Go go on. 
No, I didn't before this. Yeah. Over half. Yeah. yeah. So far this year, 2016, those two sources represent virtually all of the newly installed capacity. Imagine An- that. Wow. Another milestone fell in March when, for the first time, renewable sources, including excluding hydropower, accounted for 10% of all power generated in the U.S., according to federal statistics. Ten years ago, renewables accounted for just less than 3% of all power generated. And with these numbers about 2016, how more and more of the new stuff is in renewable energy, then that number is going to start changing dramatically, that 10% versus 3% in the past. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah. I mean, this year it's been 100% uh, new renewable energy sources. Yeah. Importantly, this surge in renewable energy has extended into red states. The 11 states with the most installed wind capacity include Texas, Oklahoma, Kansas, and North Dakota across the blustery Great Plains. And while California has installed nearly five times as much solar capacity as any other state, such sun-splashed red and purple places such as Texas, Arizona, and North Carolina also rank in the top 10 today, with Florida and Utah projected to join them by 2021. So here's where capitalism is helping, where economics is supporting accountability. The question, of course, is whether ideology will trump common sense or not. And does the earth have time to find out? Yeah, let me just make another comment, which is that I uh, just read recently um, that there is... Where did my brain go? Hello, we're talking about renewable... (laughs) 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 This was... Oh, yes, solar power. That what's happening is there's less and less individual homes are uh, putting solar on their homes. And more and more, it's becoming like the utilities themselves or the collective. And that it's way more efficient if you're doing these collective solar installations than if you install solar on your house. And that is really good news for people like us who have too many trees. So uh, I think that's another thing. It's like we're stepping beyond just us as individuals trying to be responsible and putting solar on our roofs to this is becoming a massive collective uh, utility-wide industry. Or, uh, and I think that's really important. Okay, take it away. Okay. The In brain another- did return. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In another amazingly positive development, this time regarding reproductive rights, This past week, the Supreme Court knocked down some extremely draconian state initiatives regarding the right to choose abortion. These laws unduly burdened poor women who didn't have the means to fly around the country or or world to seek safe abortions. The Supreme Court decision is having a huge impact. On July 1st, NBC News reported less than a week after the Supreme Court's major abortion ruling in Whole Woman's Health versus Hellerstedt, Related restrictions across the country began falling like dominoes. Since the previous Monday, laws restricting abortion and non-abortion, Planned Parenthood funding have already been temporarily or permanently wiped out in six states. The Center for Reproductive Rights filed a new case Friday challenging a whopping seven of Louisiana's new abortion restrictions. And on the heels of the Whole Woman's Health Plan case, Planned Parenthood Federation of America announced an effort to pursue repealing laws in eight states through legislatures. 
Even lawmakers hostile to abortion may prefer the less expensive option of repealing a law rather than having to defend one that is unlikely to stand after the Supreme Court's decision, which is the law of the land. And there have been some long overdue shifts in our consciousness about the treatment of animals, a shift toward oneness and recognition that there are sentient beings on the planet other than us. No. <laughs> on July the 5th, for example, the Huffington Post reported that cramped conditions for lab rats is bad for the animals and for science. This on top of our stories last week about new attitudes toward, toward farmed chickens and the closing of the zoo in Buenos Aires, based on a realization that zoos are not the right environment for animals. Very slow progress, but progress nonetheless. On another front where there has been a little progress, the appeals court for the Fifth Circuit denied a Texas man's request for permission to transform his semi-automatic weapon into an automatic weapon. He really needed that. Yeah, in other words, a machine gun. The appeals court said that machine guns are not protected under the Second Amendment as a (laughs) militia weapon. That could be an important precedent defending the already existing ban on machine guns. In addition, Governor Jerry Brown signed six new gun control laws in California. Obviously, the battle over gun control continues to rage with the GOP weighing punishment for the Democratic lawmakers who sat in for gun control last week. And with how many more people dead from gun violence just in the past week? The argument that guns don't kill people, people do, is obviously true, but people with guns can do more harm than people without guns. And the emotionally fragile state of so many of the world's citizens has made this an extremely pressing issue, with more and more people feeling more and more fear, not only of terrorists, but just fear of drunk, distraught, alienated, mentally ill, careless, angry, or depressed folk who are dealing with their emotions through killing others, whether it be in the name of ISIS or any other real or imagined cause. Which brings us to the seemingly never-ending violence in our world. Some of the latest involves the new terrorist attacks against Muslim nations, including Turkey, Bangladesh, Iraq, and Saudi Arabia. Regarding our lack of oneness, a very po- the very point was made in the New York Times yesterday. The story out of Paris comments, in recent days, jihadists killed 41 people at Istanbul's bustling shiny airport, 22 at a cafe in Bangladesh, and at least 250 celebrating the final days of Ramadan, Ramadan in Baghdad. Then the Islamic State attacked again with bombings in three cities in Saudi Arabia. By Tuesday, Michel Kilo, a Syrian dissident, was leaning wearily over his coffee at a left bank cafe in Paris, wondering, where was the global outrage? Where was the outpouring that came after the same terrorist groups unleashed horror in Brussels and here in Paris? In a supposedly globalized world, do non-whites, non-Christians, and non-Westerners count as fully human? The story went on to point out that this is not the first time that the West seems to have shrugged off massacres in predominantly Muslim countries. But the relative indifference after so many deaths caused by the very groups that have plagued the West is more than a matter of hurt feelings. One of the primary goals of the Islamic State and other radical Islamist groups is to drive a wedge between Sunni Muslims and the wider world to fuel alienation as a recruiting tool. And when that world appears to show less empathy for the victims of attacks in Muslim nations who have borne the brunt of the Islamic State's massacres and predatory rule, it seems to prove their point. 
In this case, the lack of oneness is not only a spiritual crisis, it causes a political crisis as well. Not to speak of guns and violence here at home, how can we report some of the news of the week without mentioning to the recent spate of killings of black men by the police? First, the shooting in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, partially captured on a spontaneous recording, and the killing last night of a black man stopped for a traffic violation in Minnesota, the aftermath of which was broadcast live on Facebook. And then there's the seemingly never-ending spike in, in murders in Chicago. What is causing the extreme polarization among po people the police brutality, the fear that might be breeding these seemingly needless killings, not just between the police and the black community, but among us all. What is happening in our society that feeds all this violence? How much is racism blocking our judgment? We are not offering answers right now, but we at Interrevolutionary Radio are committed to addressing this question sometime in the not-too-distant future. At the same time, we all feed the sadness for this dreadful, well, I'm sorry, we all feel the sadness for this dreadful, needless suffering. And just to close out this week's news summary, let's just acknowledge that Hillary Clinton will not be prosecuted for her carelessness regarding her email, but questions are still rumbling about her judgment and veracity. For those of us who are horrified by the possibility of a Trump victory in November, the further fraying of trust for the presumptive Democratic nominee feels really ominous but we will not shut up in order to protect the election. Beth has written a blog on this topic, and we expect it to appear on the Huffington Post very soon. As soon as it is published, as it is published, we will post it on Facebook. Beth? Well, I don't know if I should say... Thank you, James. I don't know if I should say this or not, but uh, normally my blogs are posted, or published at least, um, within a couple of hours, always within 24 hours. And it's been, oh, the clock is ticking. It's been a lot more than 24 hours. This blog about uh, not trusting Hillary Clinton has not been well received by a lot of people. And I think I need to say something about that. In fact, we published it in the Daily Cause, and I, it was, uh, which is a, a progressive, or used to be a progressive blog site, we made a terrible mistake. Evidently, in March, they've decided that they were going to become a pro-Hillary website. And so you can't make uh, negative comments about Hillary Clinton, especially if they resemble something that a Republican might have said. So uh, I stumbled onto that. I had no idea I was going to talk about this. But I stumbled in because I, I uh, submitted my uh, Hillary Clinton blog, and they posted it. And oh, my God. It was like a feeding frenzy, and I was dinner. And uh, then they censored parts. Of the, you know, I would answer somebody, and then they would they would hide my answer because uh, it was inappropriate. And inappropriate meant that it sounded like what some right winger might have said. Uh, me, a right winger? Has anybody been listening to this show? Do I sound like a right winger to you? No. And, and it hasn't been um, published yet at the Huffington Post. Well. I, I get it. People are terrified about the election of, uh, possible election of Donald Trump. I feel the same way, but that doesn't mean that we have to make ourselves stupid or that now we're going to talk, not talk about the weaknesses of uh, the Democratic candidate or problems that she's had 
and the problems of trust that people are feeling towards her and the issues that that's going to be raising for us who would like to see a progressive agenda, uh, you know, moved forward in November. So I don't know whether I'm being a blockhead or I'm just persevering. But somehow or other, I think that there that there's a lot about our democracy that we need to be aware that we are shutting ourselves up and the Democratic Party has been pretty mum and and the I can't remember the exact title of this blog, which we will post on our Facebook page when and if it ever gets published on the Huffington Post. Uh, the title I believe was Hillary's emails. Now I know what it feels like to be to be a Republican in 2016. That's the very thing. Well, the point that I was trying to make is there is a lot of Republicans who said they had to get honest about the way they felt about Donald Trump, even if it meant losing the election. And I have to say that I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, yeah, well, it's so obvious that you have to do this. Oh, my God, how you possibly support Donald Trump? And then I'm seeing Democrats who don't want to say anything about Hillary because they don't want her to lose the election. You know, the, the, the Republicans may feel very similarly about not wanting Hillary to win the election. So they could say, well, we'll do anything to avoid uh, Hillary winning the election. So we will gag, gag support Donald Trump. Well, that people in the Republican side have, some of them have said, no, you know, we put the nation first. And that's what I meant when I said I know how the Republicans feel because there there are things to like about Hillary. But there's a lot that I don't like about Hillary. and, And I think the most important part is the fact that I don't really trust her political rudder. I think that she blows with the wind. She, you know, she's very much of a politician, and she's certainly willing to be secretive and hide things. And I don't believe that uh, candidates can be any more honest than we are. You know, I think that we're all kind of duplicitous, and we're all trying to get our way, and we're very manipulative. But, um, you know, with Hillary Clinton, there are issues about the Clinton Foundation. There's questions about her integrity. And we who are in the progressive uh, side, if, you know, I guess I can say that I am. I'm not going to say that I was a, a Bernie supporter or a Hillary supporter because I try not to get into that. But I think we need to be very, very honest about what we're saying is okay among our own political leaders um, and the people who represent us. So anyway, if you're shutting me off now, you are not alone. Okay, shut that woman up. Helen, shut this woman up. Take over. <laughs> well, are we going to move into the topic now? We are. Unless something else comes to you to say before we move into the topic, or you can I, ask me a brilliant well, question that links the topics. The, there certainly is a link, and you already made it, of, you know, are you being a blockhead or are you guided are you guided to uh, fight for these things that nobody wants to hear? Yeah. You know, it's not, it's not popular. A lot of what you say is not popular. And a lot of people might have the opinion that you're being a blockhead. But, <laughs> you know, those of us who know you and admire you believe that you are guided and that you just never will give up on something that you believe. And that is to be admired and not condemned. So I would, I would say the same thing about this. I, I want to believe that, personally, I want to believe that Hillary 
is trustworthy, but man, there's a lot of evidence to the contrary. (laughs) Even if we end up voting for her, we still need to be honest about her flaws and where she needs support. Exactly. That's so well said. She needs support. People need to point these things out to her because they're weaknesses she has. And if if they're weaknesses of Hillary, they are weaknesses of our whole country. Yes, yes. And, you know, she needs to surround herself with people who will support her to be more forthcoming and uh, to, uh, you know, be less uh, secretive and maybe have more integrity. I mean, I, I'm not trying to condemn the woman up and down, but there's a lot of questions that I have. And by the way, you don't have to be a Republican to question Hillary Clinton or Bernie Sanders or even John Lewis or anybody. Or your wife. Or your wife or the Democratic National Committee. I mean, I see a lot of stuff that's politics as usual everywhere. And I get why. I can understand it. You know, we're so driven to win, to win, to win. Because our nation is so adversarial, it makes a lot of difference who wins. It makes a lot of difference who is going to be uh, the, uh, you know, the next Supreme Court nominee after the... The Republicans, uh, you know, don't have uh, Obama to kick around anymore to ignore his uh, Supreme Court. So, I mean, these things have consequences, and I get that they have consequences, but our own corruption has consequences, too. Indeed. So, (laughs) we already have a caller. Well, I, I don't know if you want to take the caller and sure, maybe she'll force me to get onto the topic. Okay, that sounds like a good idea. So it's Christine from San Diego. Hi, hi, Christine. Hi. Um, no, it was a good conversation. I just uh, I do have a question on the topic that's going to make me seem a lot less broadly politically minded. Well, that's fine. We do, okay, we, uh, this is not bait and switch. Okay. In fact, I uh, I was worried that I'm going to come out looking like a real fool out of out of this conversation. A but fool. I'm really as long intrigued. as you don't look like a Republican, it's oh, okay. 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 Right? I, I, well, we'll see. It has to do with uh, horseback riding. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm just intrigued by this topic of how do we know what to do? Give yeah. up? Push on? Yeah. And. Um, I've heard you talk about this before, you know, with kids, and sometimes you just can't know. But I've been thinking lately about um, my horse. This is why I'm talking about horseback riding, who has been under training. And sometimes I say, well, what am I training her for? Um, I'm training her to be safe to a degree, but, like, I wonder, do I, you know, that's the thought that's come up recently. Do I continue? Do I stop? Why am I doing this? Et cetera. Oh, I love it. You're actually reminding me of the topic that I was supposed to talk about today, (laughs) (laughs) which is um, that the different perspective on, you see, everybody tries to figure this out in terms of will we be successful. Okay, so my daughter has been in rehab four times. I've now mortgaged myself to the hilt. Uh, We're eating spaghetti and beans, and, uh, you know, should we do it one more time? And, 
you know, then people will say, well, what's the chance of success? Or she didn't mm. succeed before, or this didn't succeed, uh-huh. or it might succeed, or blah, 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 yeah. blah, blah, And by the way, I did write a Huffington Post blog, which was published in three hours, by the way, <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> on this very topic. Okay, maybe uh, that was it, yeah. yeah. But what the point is, now, what came to me when I was working on this t- topic was that we need to be looking at our motivations instead of trying to figure out whether or not we're going to be successful. Mm. So I will come back directly to your question, but I do need to lay this out uh, if p- in case people are still with us. So here it is. The, um, you know, we... We look at everything from the perspective of whether or not it's going to succeed, but we don't know whether it will succeed. Supposing there's a statistics that says 72% of people who go to rehab for the fifth time are successful. Oh, well, I'm going to do this because I know that, you know, there's a 72% chance that my daughter is going to get sober. Well, she may be part of the 28% that doesn't get sober or there aren't any statistics like that or it's all complete nonsense anyway. And, you know, how long is she going to stay sober? What is that even, you know, what is that defined as? And how do we define success? We may succeed and do that. I'm really working really, really, really hard on getting this promotion. I'm going to do everything I can to get this promotion. I'm I'm undercutting everybody around me so that the boss realizes it's me who's doing these great things so I can get the promotion. So I do all of that and I finally get the promotion and I have a heart attack and drop dead because I'm so stressed out because of the promotion that I just got. So which was the success? Was it, oh, yeah, I was successful because I got the promotion, but maybe it wasn't such a great success because I'm dead. So when when you're trying to figure out whether or not to go after this promotion, how are you going to know based on your success because you just don't know whether or not you'll be successful. Mm -hmm. You may have read 17 books on how to get a promotion that tell you this is what I should wear when I go into see my boss but my boss is planning this promotion for their third cousin and it really doesn't matter what I do I'll never get the promotion even if I need it and want it so we can't go based on whether or not we're going to be successful if I was only going to be a blockhead and speak up when I was going to get a big audience and a lot of kudos and success and money thrown at me I wouldn't do anything Because I don't have any of those successes to point to, right? Now, you can measure success differently. You can say, well, I feel good about myself. Well, that's cool, right? Mm -hmm. So now let's go to what I'm talking about is motivation. This is something we can look at. Am I doing this because I would feel like a scumbag if I didn't? Now, Mm -hmm. talk about that blog. Uh, If I had not written that Hillary Clinton blog yesterday morning, I wouldn't have been attacked viciously on the Daily Cause. And I, you know, I can understand they didn't like what I had to say, but it was a, it was a little over the top. But, um, but I, I would have not felt good. I mean, I would have been carrying this pain in me all day because I had not expressed it. And I hadn't had the guts to put it out there and say, hey, guys, we need to be looking at ourselves, too, not to speak about our world and at our egos and all of that stuff. So 
the first thing is when we're looking at our motivation, what's one really important motivation is, am I doing this because otherwise I really would be gutless and yeah, I may not be able to turn this lynch mob around, but if I don't say anything and that guy is hung, how am I going to feel about the <laughs> myself for the rest of my life? Right. And so there is a motivation that has to do with self-love and self-care, even though yeah. it looks the opposite. You know, when we go out there on that limb and we get lynched by that lynch mob too, it looks like, oh, I martyred myself and I sacrificed myself for something better. And, and no, that wasn't self-care. But it was self-care because what I cannot afford is to hate myself mm-hmm. and turn against myself. So that is always an extremely important uh, motivation. But let's say what's a lousy motivation. We're talking, we're going back to the the girl who is going to rehab and should I pay for her for the fifth time? Well, I don't want her to think I'm a louse or I don't want um, anybody else to think I'm a bad mother or I'm compensating for what I didn't do when she was two years old. Those are not good motives. Mm-hmm. Those are our motives that have to do with our egos, that have to do with making ourselves look good to ourselves, to others, and compensation for what we did, which is also not a good motive. So none of these motives is good. So now let's go back to your horse. This is a long way around to get to your horse, right? <laughs> well, I, I don't want to look like a bad horse, Mom. Right. And now, um, yes. you know what? She's not in training. She's being exercised once a week. Okay, so why so do you even I put don't it that need way? to call it training, even right. though it's a trainer that's exercising her. Yes, um, she's being exercised, and that supports me, so I don't have to ride her as much, right? I know she's yes. getting exercise. Yes, and and when she does with this exerciser, I'll call it her exerciser now, not her trainer, not right? Exorciser, exor- her exorciser, exorciser. Um, then um, she is also getting, you know, some reminders about good, good horse form and behavior and everything that makes it more enjoyable for me to ride. But she's not in training, and oh, I'm not and- a person that has a horse in training. And have you been calling it being in training? Yes. Yeah. So now, what was the motive behind that? That, wasn't it that I want to be a good horse mom? No. Hmm. You want Um, to look like a good horse mom. Or look like a good, that's what I mean. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and What's why the do you difference? Want- it only matters how I look. <laughs> <laughs> what are you talking about, Beth? I don't understand. <laughs> and so, what does? Uh, why do you need to look like a good horse mom? To justify having the horse. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So now the question is: Are you a blockhead for having the horse? Or is there some really important motive for having that horse? You see how one question always leads to another. It leads to another. It's good. It's, this yeah. is a great series of questions. Um, am I a blockhead for having the horse or is there a good reason? Yeah. I think, I do think there's a good reason. But yeah. I don't know what it is. I think you need the love. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> Now, the only thing that I would say about that reason is I would ask myself, 
do I need the love because there's something wrong with my human relationships or relationships all the other animals I'm collecting? Or <laughs> do I need the love because I have a need to connect to other species? That this is part of nurturing myself and that I, and by the way, I want to say one more thing about the training aspect, which is part of the exercise. As, as I have definitely know, because I'm terrible at this, animals should be trained in so far as you need to be able to call them out of danger, uh, yeah. you know, give them support uh, to deal with things that they can't see but that we can. She's being, ex- yeah, she's being exposed to new things and, yeah. So maybe it keeps her interested in life. Yeah. Uh, she's maybe getting... No, I mean, uh, but exposed to not be afraid of them. And exactly. And to learn to deal with new situations and experiences. Yeah. Exactly. So that's about um, a whole different way of seeing that process. Is right. Too much it of is, our I relationship... I feel myself calming down now. Yeah. Yeah. There, too much of our relationship with the animal world has been about control. Right. I'm going to break this horse. Uh, My dog is going to heal at my, you know what I mean? It's all been about our egos, about making ourselves look like we are in control of something. And that is a lousy motive. Yeah. If the motive is, and it's the same way with our children, by the way, we have, you know, I want my children to learn how to do this because that makes me look good. But if, let's say, I want to expose my child to Spanish because we live in a, you know, in a, a neighborhood where 50% of the people speak Spanish, well, that has nothing to do with my ego. That has to do with supporting that child to live in a collective relationship mm-hmm. with other people who, or it could have been, you know, Chinese, whatever, Mandarin. So, you know, we have to, if we can start differentiating what we are teaching our children, our animals, and ourselves, and sometimes our husbands and wives, and uh, uh, you know, is it, is it really for their benefit? Are we really trying to benefit them, or are we trying to look a certain way? Mm. So this is a whole different way of looking at the same question, mm-hmm. none of which has anything to do with success. And mm-hmm. then you know you should persevere if you feel like, your horse's well-being is at stake or your dog's at stake as long as it's real. Although there might be a point at which you say, I can't afford this since I feel like I, I need to do this and I wish I could. Or I mm-hmm. wonder if there's another way of meeting the same need that yeah. is as expensive because once we've identified that there is a need, we look for other ways to meet that need. Yeah. Great. Wow. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to throw something in here that um, what you're talking about really does change the idea of what is success and failure. And should we throw out that whole paradigm or can we redefine it? Um, Throw out the paradigm. That's what I thought. I mean, (laughs) dump it. Um. it, it's just just the wrong way to look at life it, because the, uh, the egoic way that humanity looks at everything is it's about domination. We dominate 
our environment. We dominate other species. We dominate other nations. We dominate other races. I mean, oh, really? And, and how is that working? Uh, it, it isn't working. We need a different relationship to the world, a, a, a relationship that is cooperative and synergistic. I'd like to ask a question regarding motivation. Great. And James, would you just name that, uh, that tune again, that phone number, just in case? Oh, okay. Uh, yes, if you have a question or a comment that you'd like to make, please call us at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. I'd like to say, even if you don't have a question... Even if you don't have a question, if you feel guided, call in and something will come. <laughs> right. Or if you don't want to ask the question, call anyway. Yes, James. Okay. Uh, I had an experience uh, of having perfectly wonderful motivation. I thought I had perfectly wonderful motivation when a, a former guru of mine persuaded me with a real sob story to go go. To return to the practice of law, over the years I've had a, 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 first I practiced law as a lawyer and then I got trained to be a hypnotherapist and I was practicing as a hypnotherapist. And then he saw that I had a, a, a law degree and he wanted me to get back into the law to help this person who had been victimized by the cult awareness network who had uh, uh, kidnapped her and was trying to brainwash her. And my uh, guru at that time, American guru, had uh, was gone and rescued her. And uh, he wanted me to re-enter the law so that I could redress those kinds of grievances. And I felt, yeah, you know, that's just terrible. Uh, we can't stand for that sort of thing. And I wanted to help. I felt sympathy for the victim. And so uh, I, th- I th- think my motivation was good, but there's something else there that wasn't right. And I'm wondering if you might address that. Uh, obviously, Maybe motivation alone isn't the, the the thing to look at, but rather... Oh, no, 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 yeah, no. I yeah, have yeah. a lot to share about that one. And by the way, as we spoke and are speaking, the Huffington Post did publish my blog. Yay! We will post it to, uh, later on the Huffington Post. But if you're just like, you can't sit still... Go and Google Huffington Post Beth Green, and that blog will be on the top of the list. And we will be uh, posting it on Facebook uh, along with this radio show. And if you ever want to know what's going on with us, go to our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash The Inner Rev. Okay, so uh, let me say about this. Why don't you really ask this as a question, James? It's like, what was my motive? Okay, what was my motive? Okay, well, now I'm going to ask you a couple of questions. Why were you feeling so powerless at the time? Hmm. Well, yeah, I felt powerless uh, that there was nothing I could do. No, 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 no. Regarding that situation. No, 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 no. I'm talking about you, your life. My life? Why were you? feeling so powerless at the time in your life mm. by the way we have not rehearsed this this is I, total <laughs> yes <laughs> uh, well I, I, I was practicing hypnotherapy I no was no that's not it I, 
But I, but, I, but I was living uh, with a group with my uh, guru. Yes. And, and I did feel dependent upon uh, following the guidance that he gave. Yes. Yeah, so I did feel powerless in that sense. I pretty much had given up my power to him. Yes, uh-huh. exactly. You yes. had given up your power to him. Now, he's giving you an opportunity to look powerful again. Mm-hmm. Now, ironically, of course, it was at his behest. Yes. So you were able to pump yourself up, look powerful in the world like you were going to be this great savior, and at the same time not cross him. Yes, that's right. Now, what would have made you truly powerful would have been to say no. Go, uh, you have plenty of money. Go get an, uh, hire another lawyer. Why, do you have, why does it have to be me? Yes. Right? That would have been powerful and would have been right. Yeah, exactly. Because I knew I was helping people in the hypnotherapeutic work. Yes. And I kept getting all that feedback. Whereas when I went into the law, it was, I was not very well suited for it. And what, why was I doing that? You know? Yeah, yeah, because it gave you the illusion that you were going to be the hero. Because as much as you were accomplishing in the hypnotherapy, it was never enough. It would never make us feel powerful enough. But beyond that, you were there was something in you that was corroding your self-esteem, which was listening to this guy. <laughs> yeah, that is true. Yeah, that is true. And so you didn't, if you had, you, not only would you have uh, stopped uh, going, you would not have gone into the law, and everybody would have, I mean, you certainly would have been a happier man for a long, long time. Yes. And uh, you would have turned to him and say, uh, I'm leaving, because the reason that I'm feeling such a need to assert myself is you. Ah, uh, yes. Okay. There we go. Thank you very much. Thank well, you. thank you very much. <laughs> Looks like we have a caller. We have Irene in Fallbrook calling in with a question. Hi. I have my question is about whether I should push on or let go, and I've been letting go. So uh, this has to do, I have a son and daughter, and uh, I'm close to my daughter, and she and I have a commitment to working things through. And I'm not close with my son. You know, we're not uh, at odds with each other, but we just don't really talk much and don't have much to say. He has a good wife and a good life. And he's told me that when I've tried to talk about his childhood and things I know that I should clear with him, he's not interested in that. Mm -hmm. And... uh, so I guess what I've done is just drop it. And I don't know if there's something other than just, you know, connecting over holidays and things like that and having brief conversations is what I should do. Well, the question that you're asking is you're not really asking the question that we're raising, which is what is your motive? You're asking, what should I do? Should I do this or should I do that, right? So what we need to look at is what is your motive in two things? What is your motivation in trying to fix your relationship with your son, first of all? Good question. Yay, Helen is back. (laughs) I was just on mute. I'm sorry. Oh, you see. And and you went to to Irene before I could unmute. Okay. Well, we're happy. Happy to have you back. Thank you. Yeah, so what is my motivation? Well, 
I would like to be close to him. That's I would not like your to motivation. Cl- okay. So do I want to feel like a good mother? Yes. <laughs> Sometimes it's so <laughs> obvious it's just depressing. Yeah. Isn't it? <laughs> and and what is being a why do you need to look like a good mother? Well, that's a good question. Well, the whole concept of a good mother just kind of boggles my mind. (laughs) Um, Because, you know, the task is so daunting. We are so unprepared. And uh, it so depends on things out of our control that... uh, I I have no idea why I would want to look. I think because society believes that we should be good mothers. Well, I mean, isn't the words that go together. Well, of course. And isn't that so much the consciousness that you grew up in, you know, in... Uh, you know that you grew up in a world where women are supposed to be wives and mothers, right? But yeah. uh, I would yeah. say that it goes beyond that, just beyond the normal. Yeah. Oh my God! In our society, we're supposed to be good wives and mothers, good dads, good whatever it is, good employees. Uh, you're you're uh, wanting to be a good mother. Part of it is. Of course, and this is so true of so many people that we'll all laugh about this, is to make sure that everybody knows that we were better mothers than our mothers were. I mean, that, and, and how, can you, how can you prove that if, uh, A, your son is a drug addict, B, your son is in jail, uh, C, your son doesn't talk to you, uh, <laughs> right? <laughs> Or in some people's minds, my son is gay. That obviously proves there was something wrong with me. It doesn't have anything to do with him or whether or not he's really gay. It has to do with me and all of that stuff. So, so you're trying to prove that you're a better mother than your, than your mother was. And that only way to prove that is to have him kiss your feet on a regular basis. I mean... How do we know? Maybe you were a better mother than your mother because your son uh, hasn't died of alcoholism and is happily married. So you could say oh, whatever, whatever happily yeah, married is, right? So you that's could say so interesting. Yeah, because yeah. my my mother's son did die of alcoholism. Yeah, and did not have a happy marriage. Yeah, that's so interesting. Yeah, but see, but that's never Never enough for our egos. And we should be, I mean, and that's the luck of the draw anyway, because it really doesn't prove anything about you. Right, I know. Uh, know. So that's not enough. But, I mean, you could say that you were a success and that, you know, that happened if you want to use success. But, of course, if we get rid of that whole success paradigm, it really doesn't matter. Anyway, the whole thing sort of disintegrates. And there's one more reason that you have got to, oh my God, this is so funny. It's just coming to me in the moment. Uh, At least there's one more reason that's coming to me right now, which is that you, oh my God, I hate to say this, but it's it's coming. It's like you haven't had really successful relationships with men. Yes. And so, yeah. 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 So if you don't have a successful, warm, intimate relationship with your son, then there's something wrong with you and you're doomed, and you should put yourself in the, in the, uh, in the um, <laughs> casket right now and bury yourself before dawn. So there it mm-hmm. is. 
Yeah. So yeah. The, the fact is that you're trying to prove something about having intimacy with your son that you haven't been able to prove in any other relationship with a man. And that's kind of painful, but that's a really bad reason to try to pursue uh, this relationship. I heard I heard right. some research once that said that the more independent your children are from their mother, the happier they will be. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so that means, I guess, Helen, well, that's that we, very, we should all be I'm really like, bad mothers. So exactly. So exactly. and join the circus when they're 14, and then they right. might. But, you know, it's so true. If your son is in a good marriage, that means he has been able to establish a good relationship with a woman. <laughs> That's very true. That's very true. They have a great relationship with each other. So what does and he it need does you warm for? my heart. It does warm my heart. <laughs> That's good. That. Uh, That's yeah. really great. So anyway, let it go. See him when you see him, and just Good. relax and see what emerges. I think we should go because I see we have one more caller. Yes, I want to Yeah, so thank Richard. you, Irene, for calling in. Sure. We have Richard in California. Take it away. Hi, Beth. Hi, James. Hi, Helen. Hi. Hi, Richard. Well, I took your advice and called in, even though I wasn't sure what I, my question is or what my comment is. But as I was listening to um, Irene and what you were saying about her son and how what a positive, happy, fulfilled marriage he has, because he did that, that and that's evidenced by, you know, that he did create that kind of relationship in his marriage. It made me think I've been married three times. <laughs> so that makes me wonder about what it says about my ability to uh, co-create that kind of relationship with a woman and what my motivation is from being married. You mean, why do you even bother getting married? No, no. I'm not sure what your question is. I don't know is. that that's what I was thinking, but I, you know, it's like <laughs> three times a charm or three times you're out. <laughs> Which goes back to, am I being a blockhead or am I guided? Well, what is your motivation for marrying? And forget about what your motivation was when you got married the first time. Because so, if you've been married three times, you're probably over 24. So, uh, yeah, well, yeah. well over 24. Well, like okay. three, almost three times 24. So wow. uh, let's just focus on... Well, first of all, do you feel like you are, are, do you want to get married again or stay married if you're married? I I want to stay married. I am married currently. Okay. Well, why do you want to? Are you asking if you're being a blockhead to try to persevere in that relationship? No, I don't think I'm being a blockhead at all. Um, Maybe that's question underneath my comments am I being a blockhead to persevere in this marriage? Okay, I get it I get what your question is Uh, it just sort of wafted over (laughs) I think what you're asking is, is it hopeless that you would ever be able to be a good husband and is it are you being a blockhead by trying to persevere in being that good husband or should you just give it up that's your real question and um, 
it, you know, the motivation for being a good husband is not, and I don't mean looking like a good husband, is really developing your capacity to relate to another human being from a state of caring, oneness, and love. And if that's being a blockhead, I'm giving up. Because I believe that we all need to be working on our relationships and coming from oneness, caring, and love in every way. So if you have somebody who's willing to go through that process with you, more power to you, go do it and try. I don't care if it's your 30th marriage. Um, If you haven't got uh, someone to do that with, well, you don't have to find someone to do that with. You can find someone every minute to do that with in the way that you relate to everyone around you. And so I would love to, this is a great way to conclude this, which is the motivation to keep trying to relate to people and to change ourselves in order to be more understanding, more compassionate, more loving, and more related is always a good motive as far as I'm concerned. But if we're in a relationship and we're trying to make it work, even though it isn't, it means that either we don't have that feeling for that person, that person really doesn't want to work it out with us, and we just don't want to embarrass us ourselves that we've been divorced seven times. I don't care how many times you've been divorced. We should never be embarrassed by our path. We just need to be informed by it. So in your case, from what I'm feeling about your real motivation, I say go for it. Yeah, thank you. That's what I feel, too. I mean, that's just kind of resonates with me like a, you know how a tuning fork yeah. being, well, that's what it feels like to me. So yeah. I feel very fortunate and blessed that would actually. Thank, so thank you. you. Thank well, you thank you much. for calling. And I have a, look, yeah, yeah, go ahead. We don't, we don't have a lot of time. But I have a final question for you, Beth, for our audience. I really want you to briefly answer the question of how can we tell if we are being guided by higher consciousness to persevere or by the ego? You know, I think we all know what the ego is, but maybe I need to do another radio show where I can talk about how you can tell when you're in your ego, because that is a very, very big question. But there is a way that we can tell us first, just very quickly, are we trying to prove something about ourselves? And if we are, we're in our ego. So we'll pick this topic up again, but I hope that that just, you know, gives us some rule of thumb to leave this show with. And in the meantime, though, Helen, you want to call on James to tell, uh, talk about next week? Yes, please, James. Would you tell <laughs> us about next week? We'd love to know what we're doing. Okay, Thank you, then. Helen, for asking James to tell us about next week. <laughs> <laughs> okay, next week. Our topic is income inequality is destroying our nation and tearing us apart. What can we do about it? Josh Hoxie returns with strategies. Let's talk. On June 30th, many of us were shocked by what we learned. We interviewed Josh Hoxie of inequality.org, and he presented a picture about growing income inequality that is worse than most of us had realized. Income inequality is out of control, and it's threatening our economy, our health, and our social cohesion. We see its symptoms every day in this polarized political season. It has consequences for us all, black, white, Hispanic, men, women, gay, straight, whoever we are. It's actually even bad for the rich. 
This time we're asking Josh to come back and talk to us about why income inequality has worsened and what we can do about it. We can't wait for the rich and powerful to have a spiritual awakening and change the world. We need to learn to discuss and to mobilize if this situation is ever to change. People like Donald Trump have seized upon people's economic and social pain for their own purposes. Let's stop fighting among ourselves and take back this issue for us and our children. And now for a final word from Beth. Well, thank you. I'm really looking forward to our show next week. We had so much fun interviewing Josh last week. And the show was extremely popular. People got a lot out of it. And I know they want to have these answers. And I wanted to. And I want us to open this discussion. So everybody, tune in, live, podcast, whatever. And I want to thank you, Helen, for being our co-host today. Uh, we always have so so much fun, and I loved our callers as usual. And I should also say thank you, James. I never say thank you, James. <laughs> that is so <laughs> unfair. <laughs> and um, it, it goes a, it goes without saying. Thank you. you. You know, it's a very it's it's a slippery slope. Um, I'm asking myself every day: Should I do this? Should I do that? What is my motive? Sometimes we don't really know for sure, but we do our best. And, you know, for me, I just say a little prayer and I say, God, help me to see the truth about this, about myself. And if you do something for the right reason, it doesn't matter what the outcome is. God bless and we'll see you next week. And thank you, Beth, for your wisdom. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Inner Revolutionary Radio with Beth Green and James Maynard. The next episode will broadcast live next Thursday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And don't forget Inner Revolutionary TV on voiceamerica.tv. Think outside the box and join us.